Y Hockey. Periodically, one of your co-hosts is uh, recording a podcast right after a North London Derby spectacular. And he's really in a good mood right now. That doesn't happen very often. You get two days of good sports joy in your life. You don't feel like the sky is falling. I've had an allergy attack for a week. Remember when we recorded last Friday and I was sick? I'm still sick. But I'm feeling pretty good now about sports. That's that's a rarity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's good to be up in this series. It's good to... Uh, it's good to watch Arsenal meltdown. Yeah. It's, it's good to have Arsenal cats meltdown. fighting in the background. So if you hear Speaking that, I apologize. Speaking of cats fighting... That's no, it's perfect segue. Speaking of cats fighting, you didn't come here to. I mean, there are probably some Arsenal fans in this audience, and I feel bad for you. You root for Arsenal. You made a bad decision in your life. Anyway, let's focus Says on these. Says the Tottenham fan. I made a terrible decision in my life, but at least I know somebody made a worse decision. Anyway, uh, let's talk about this bizarro series. Uh, at some point, we will talk about everything else that's going on in the league. Uh, maybe a little towards the end of the show because there's a lot to get to. But this series, I. I I don't know what your what is the one word you'd use to describe this series because the one word I'm using and it's probably not the right word it's weird, it's been a, very weird. A, a good teaching lesson to to fans and the team on playoff hockey and the makeup of winning a series. Yeah. Uh, you're playing it. I mean, we have to be honest. Washington is playing their best hockey. I mean, you're looking at the roster construction on Washington and stuff. You you have a lot of guys who are playing at their top level right now not saying they haven't done it before and can't do it again but you know this is basically like them maxing out their their value um and they're they're playing great defense they're playing great as a unit i mean you see them all having huddles before like how many face-offs every game i mean they are laviolette has them clicking ovechkin and backstrom and Oshi and you know all those leaders. I, I want to mention another clicking. player who I think has been awesome this series, and that's Nick Jensen. Incredibly yeah. underrated He's, defenseman. I mean, uh, if it would be nice if he had a you know about four more penalty minutes for a couple tackles on Barkov, but other than that, he's been playing great defense on Barkov and has basically been stuck on him like glue. Yeah, no, I think the Capitals have played exceptionally good for who they are yeah. and what they are. And Samsonov's been really good, too. And, I, I think and we have to give him credit as well. Yeah, and that's lesson one. I mean, like, yeah, the Panthers have Knight who can come in and be good and everything, but that doesn't mean other teams don't have that as well. Samsonov is, to me, just as good of a goalie prospect and, you know, starting a guy who can catch fire like Knight is. So there's no reason to doubt him or underestimate him. Uh, and, you know, Vanacek starting, I know, I remember us talking about it, was the preferred choice for us. Um, you know, it, it, we, we thought that they would, you know, give Panthers a benefit because he was a little more up and down. Uh, I where... thought they were going to start Samson off in game one. I really did. That was my yeah, assumption. I, I think it's just because he has, you know, the ability to go on a run and everything um, and be, you know, he has athleticism. He has a lot of competitive nature, and uh, he's technical enough to stay with pucks and, and be square a lot of the time, which, so is, let, which is nice. Yeah, let's, let's focus on the Panthers in this series because I think your point to the emotional swing well, of the playoff let, let series me, are valid. Let, let me just tie that up. You know, lesson one is that there is another team, and if they play good, if they, you know, if they dictate pace, that – that doesn't automatically mean 
you know, your team didn't show up. I mean, it, there's going to, you're not always going to be winning possession battles. You're not always going to be ahead. You're not always going to be the better team in a series. It's, you know, six, seven games. So you have to be able to not live and die on that. I, I was going to mention team, this because fan, it's very wa- you watch all these other series going on. And I'll, I'll talk about the East series. Let's talk about Toronto-Tampa, which has had wild swings from game to game. Toronto absolutely dominates game one. They look like garbage in game two. They play really well in game three. They look like trash in game four. Game five, 30 minutes of garbage, 30 minutes of the best hockey I've seen the Leafs play. That's what a playoff series is like. And I think you're right in saying that this fan base, and this is not to criticize them, it's they have no experience with playoff hockey. And that's fair, obviously, because the Panthers have not played playoff series. And when they have, you know... I, I, it's yeah. been a while, when, and last year was a bonus. Nobody really – I don't – I mean, we wanted to win, obviously. Everyone did. But I don't think everyone was cued in on those little things, the momentum swings in a series and a game and a shift, in the same way that they are now because the Panthers came in last year as the underdog, and that, that was the found money season. And now that they have all these expectations and the fan base has all these expectations, well, it, it, they don't – they haven't gelled. In the well, ways they wanted to gel, obviously. And, well, I, I don't know if I'd call last year a gimme or whatever. What, I don't forget what you called it. But, I called it I uh, call it found money. As in, when, we, we didn't expect them. To, they made it. It was a great, happy-go-lucky, feel-good season. And now the no, expectations have, have been, changed. I don't know. They should have made it last year. I, I'm just maybe, I guess, a little harder on them. But for me, with, um, you know, last year, Tampa wasn't a team that was, you know, from game one – every game playing their best game. And and that's the difference this year. I mean, you ha- you don't have, you know, last year they have some, they have basically, they, they considered Coach Q basically, you know, the conductor of momentum. So they didn't have to actively think about it, actively manage it. Um, now, you know, it's split between, you know, the players and the coaching staff and stuff to, to handle that, to create their own momentum and, and to, you know, deal with that. Uh, that's why you bring in guys like Giroux uh, and and Sherrod. That's why you have Thornton there. Um, you know, that's why you can bring a guy like Mammon off the bench. I'm sure we're going to talk about the energy he brought. Um, but you know, inside the series, you're playing a team that pretty much every shift is executing on the little things, the details. They're finishing every check. They're sticks on every puck. You know, they are doing everything. Dotting the I's, crossing the T's, doing everything that Laviolette drew out in his game plan, specifically to beat the Florida Panthers. So that it's you know that's something you have to keep in mind and everything. And I want to and, say, from a and, coaching perspective, and it might not matter because obviously the Capitals are in trouble, but Laviolette's probably outcoached Andrew Burnett in the series. I I, I don't think I'm standing on a limb saying well, that. Uh, yeah, well, the se- the series isn't over, so we don't know how it's going to go and everything. First, and that's, the first five games, and, would you say? But, I mean, and I think that series. I think that I think he probably that's has. the other lesson. You, you you're you're already you're already missing the the you're already in the wrong perspective if you're trying to make conclusions before they happen. If you're trying to even draw conclusions, um, you know. Right now, it's not about who's out coaching. It's about who, can can Brunette close out in a game four, 
until the series is over, the the questions that should be asked are about can can this person execute on their assigned task or, or what they're supposed to be doing or what are they supposed to be doing to be able to execute or what do they need to be able to execute or what isn't there and, and explaining why they're not able to execute. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the re one of the narr one of the issues with I have with ESPN's uh, coverage of the playoffs versus NBC, I think, or you know, NBC was kind of getting this way, t to the most part, was it's based off narratives. It's you know, it's based off trying to draw those conclusions and create drama out of those conclusions. You know, someone's do not you know living up to the hype. Someone's overperforming or you know, whatever it may be, there's a narrative there they're trying to push rather than talking about, you know, can, can Brunette, you know, finish it, you know, finish this off or what, what can he do? Um, for me, what I saw was he's through the series, he's continued to stay the course and emit a neutral and confident presence while still being able to make changes. I mean, he's brought some people into the lineup, but it's never been, you know, it's all been in a positive way. He's switched up lines, and it's all been in a positive way. Um, you know, you're you're seeing how, you know, Giroux on the bench with Verhage and stuff, and you're seeing these interactions, and this is, you know, after, you know, line changes and things like that, guys getting shuffled around. It, it it's working and he's not going away from that. So is he for, you know, is he going to be able to, if it comes down to making the change, you know, in to win the series, I think he'll, he'll feel ready to do it because he hasn't been panicking. He hasn't been making a lot of changes, so it won't feel like oh, I can't do too much. Um, you know, I think he'll be able to, step confidently if he has to make a bold decision because he's been pretty conservative so far and that's an advantage to him where you know you're looking at La Violette he's coached really well he's been matching lines on the road uh and you know at home he's going back home so he has that advantage he's got a lot of experience you know they keep showing that stat about this is fifth team he's taken to the playoffs which is ties the record um, so there's a lot of things going for him too. So it's not about better. It's you have two coaches who are executing what they want to do and can they continue to do that to give their team an advantage? What's interesting, uh, a couple points here. The first of which is I saw a tweet after game three, right before game four, where I think there was criticism of Andrew Burnett not changing the lineup at all. I mean, he changed the lines, but he didn't bring anybody in and out. And what right. we assume is after a game like Game 3 where it they didn't play all that badly and then it went off the rails at the end of the third period of Game 3, you expect changes. And Andrew Burnett, I don't think it's about that. you know. And, you, and your talk about how he's more even-keeled, he is a believer in his group, and he has shown multiple times that he says he knows his group can figure a way out of it. The only lineup change he made was after game one. That was it. And he realized, okay, this Ryan Lomberg thing's not working. I need something different here. And he made it. And I think the Panthers have been better when Nolachari has been in the lineup than when Lomberg was in the lineup. You needed right. a different thing. 
And my first thought on that, like not making changes, like what changes are you trying to make here? Like you're going to bring in Ryan Lomberg. That's not going to change anything. Are you going to scratch Radko Gudis? That's not going to change anything. You know, like it's deck chairs on the Titanic. It was a matter of but, getting the, the, the better players on the Panthers to realize something and to recognize something. It's not always like, I mean, I think he did. The only thing I wish he did sooner was probably go to five-man power play. I think that the five-man power play has a lot of value, and they don't have to use it every time, but using it a lot of the time, I think, is how the Panthers actually score in the power play. We uh, I know their power play in a second. I just want somebody to just acknowledge that I was completely correct to, to keep pushing the five-man power play. Um, and I, I just hope one day I'll get that acknowledgement. I mean, listen, I, I have I have my issues with it, but I think the five forward power play has looked at times better in this series than the ones with Ekblad, but on the whole, it hasn't been very good. But anyway, I, I just want to focus been, on, I guess... It's been I, fine. I, I want to focus on, in terms of just riding the wave of emotion in a series, is very difficult because there are wild swings. You know, even against an eight seed, this is a Capitals team that still had 100-plus points. It's got a really good coach, and it's got some good players. You know, I, I, and as you said, I think the Capitals play pretty well. This is not like Nashville that eventually rolled over. You know, every other series has gone six games. Calgary has really had to scrap with Dallas. Like, all these times, we thought there might be a mismatch. But I, I, think, I think that undersells. I, I think, you know, I don't want to think – I don't want to say that Washington's – I've been watching a lot of these series – um, you know, I think Washington's playing better than a lot of these teams who are, you know, in the same position they are being down 3-2 in a lot of these series because they've been more consistent. I mean, I think... Yeah, I, I agree with you. For the most part, this playoffs has been balance is oscillation between two extremes, whereas Washington has basically been consistently balanced throughout the entire series. And that's very unique for this playoffs where we've seen a lot of you know, big upheavals back and forth. You're correct. I, I think that that is a lot down to Laviolette. I think a lot of that has to do with how they're defensively been structured. The Lavi lock has worked, and it's frustrated the Panthers, and they've had to try to figure out, okay, how do we play our game while we try to get through this trap that has been very difficult for them to break down? And it's taken a little bit of time to figure it out. And whether you think they've totally figured it out, because I thought at points in Game 5 they looked lost again, but I think that's because good scouting and the Capitals are playing at a high level. I think that they haven't had really many passengers in the series overall, and that's a credit to everyone there. And I think what it's been incumbent on is the Panthers in figuring it out as they've gone along, because the one thing that this team has not had to do all year is to figure this sort of thing out, whether it happened in a game or two. They'd then play another opponent, and then normal service would be resumed. They'd score goals, and they'd look like a flying, you know, the flying Yeah, and then the problem goes away. And then the problem goes away. But it's not been that in this series. Which is why all year I was harping on it so much, because that was the time to work on it and do it. And that's why I kept saying, you know, Brunette should be, you know, in practice, they should be working to beat this they should be actively playing a style some games against certain opponents to try to work on this and you know maybe next year they'll learn <laughs> perhaps or maybe they'll learn it in the next series i don't know because there's a lot in this particular series just fascinating that they've played 
two of their better possession games and two of their better stylistic games in game four and game five eventually they figured it out even after they started a little slowly they've started slowly in almost every game Suns game three oddly enough like in all the games whether it be penalties whether it be the capitals clogging up the neutral zone and the panthers not starting on time i think their starts have not been good in almost any game just it's been it's been Something we've noticed throughout the year that they'd start slow, whether they'd give up an early goal, the Spencer Knight but giving up an early goal thing. I think, I think yes. If you're just looking at have the Panthers starts been as good as the Washington starts? Have they been able to get up to full speed and and you know crisp passes and stuff as quickly, etc.? No, they haven't. It's been bad in that retrospect, but or in that perspective. But if you look at at it you know, compared to how the Panthers have started periods and games uh, over the regular season, it's improved, um, especially with what they're giving up. And, you know, they still have given up some early goals, um, but a lot of those have been like, you know, the the one was that off the shin pad and then bounced off the ice and then went under the bar. I mean, you know, some of that is on the power play. Like some of that's a little, um, you know, more excusable than the ones that went through Bobrovsky or Knight's glove or, you know, the D would, you know, be completely sleeping and leave somebody on the back door for like the third shot of the game or give up a breakaway or something like that. So they've had better starts. And so it's kind of, you know, if you're a fan or if you're, you know, the Panthers, you don't really want to be thinking about the negative and taking it out. Yeah, we're not having as good of starts. You could say that we could have better starts and that's an area that we can, increase our advantage against this team and what we need to do is remember we're confident and keep building off of our improved starts because we are improving our starts and then you know that's how you that's how you should be thinking about it um and and you know hope that the five first five minutes and first five shots against are as you know continually improved as you know the last couple games have been so i i want to get into individuals um, just talking about just the overall individual play of some Panthers. I did not okay. expect Carter Verhage to be the player of the series, but well, maybe now not that because I... he looks almost invisible in games one and two, and I'm and I'm glad I kind of jinxed them by calling him invisible. I think on the last podcast that, that you you that always you did, helps. You did do that because usually it's you with the reverse jinx. Possibly, I mean, well, I did say that Anthony Duclair had a chance of being, you know, a player that stepped up in Washington, and he, well, speaking of invisible, he has been totally invisible this series. O'Brien said he looks, he looks timid, not scared, he just looks like he's hesitating, like he doesn't want to, you know, like he's timid, he's a little... It, it, and one of the things know, that the off. Panthers are really good at is they play without thinking, that's the, the key to their success, and the minute you have to start thinking... That's when you start to slow them down, and I give credit to the Capitals for doing that because in a lot of situations, the Panthers had to start thinking. And once you had to start actively thinking in a playoff series, that's a split second where a forecheck can get an advantage of you, where they can chip the puck in behind you, they can take a different angle, right? You know, those are those moments. And I think a couple of players have been, I, would, I wouldn't say guilty of that, but I think the Capitals have done a really good job in forcing the Panthers into that. But on Verhage... Again, I would not have expected him to be the player of the series, but he's now become the player of the series. And I and I and I'm thinking, is it the speed? Is it the fact that he can create that separation and he's the one who can get ahead of that trap in the neutral zone? Is it the fact that 
he plays with Barkov really well. Their their games gel quite well. And now after Barkov had his best game of the series in Game 5, that's no coincidence that Verhage also had his best game. Is it the fact that Verhage has the ability to do something individually? Because how many times this season do we see him make a play, a beeline down the left wing, left wing rush, fire a shot that fools the goalie? What is it that has made Verhage the player I in mean, this series? There's a little bit of all of that. I mean, obviously, the what's really driving it is the player's own ability and the player's own determination. And, you know, that's where most of the credit lies. Uh, and, and the team to, you know, the coaching staff on giving them the opportunities. Uh, so, but beyond that, I think, you know, there's people who Bennett is some similar to Verhage in that he can just skate it all the way down and kind of create things on his own. There's some other guys with, with pop that can, you know, get down the ice and, and kind of break a one through one. Um, you know, it's kind of maybe he has a little bit of all of that and some of the other players don't. You know, the obviously playing with Barkov and having that familiarity, Barkov getting better as the series goes on helps. But for me, it's just his time. It's just, you know, they're taking turns. You you expect nine of those forwards to be able to have the ability to be the forward of a series. And if you're thinking about this long term and, you know, um, maybe productively to kind of set yourself up you're thinking you know if you're going to win the cup are is this the series you want Barkov to be the forward of the series i mean because it's going to be 20 some games you know they're going to there's going to be ebbs and flows like in a series across series you know i i i'm okay with Barkov's performance right now i'm okay with a lot you know you know he's contributing enough um, offensively, defensively, get, winning pucks. I, I think back. personally, his defensive game has been exceptional every night. It's the offense that hasn't been there yet, and but, that changed a little in Game Five. But I think he's. I've had. I I've mean, had no issues with his defensive game. If you look at the game where it's one-one and you know Samsonov robs him. And from a goal, if he scores that goal, I mean, maybe everybody thinks about his offensive differently, and that's just you know one sixteenth of an inch of a pad saving the puck and you know changing its trajectory a little bit. So well, I mean, Panthers fans know what that's post. like when Garnet Hathaway's hit the outside of a post and how yeah, much so, that changes the series. Exactly. So I mean, I I don't want to if you're if you're in the first series and you're looking at some of these box car stats or advanced stats or you know these these metrics and you're like you know he's had he has good enough stats and he's clearly helping the team so there's nothing that you need to read more into it in this short term if at the end of one two three how many series they play we can dissect it and say it wasn't good enough then yeah fine i'm, I'm i'll be I'll be right there with you, but you know, cause at the end of the day, at some point he does need to take it over and he does need to, you know, help this team win a cup and it's got to, and for me, this is a great year to do it. So I, I, I expect him to come to, to do that or come very close to it. Um, but you know, there has been little things where he's taken over. He's he's really taken over some of the neutral zone. He's really taken over some of the power play. And I think he's gotten that first power play unit more in line. Um, and he's definitely been the key key to that. Yeah, there's some areas that I want him to be a little more direct, but he's still been 
dominating enough to draw attention, create space, and put pucks in the space or on Verhage's tape to do what he's done. And same with Giroux, who, you know, maybe has had some areas where he's been caught out in left field trying to recover from somebody else's defensive laps on a goal against or something. But for the most part, they've been pulling their weight in the positive direction enough um, and keeping their team in it. And, you know, obviously something's going on in that locker room and they're saying the right things on the bench uh, because it seems when things aren't going well, they're calm. I can be calm watching the games because of them. And, you know, that's that's positive. Yeah, I, I think that there's something to say in that because it's 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 funny because I don't think anybody's been other than Duclair, I guess, but has been bad, like actively not good but it's one of those things that in a playoff series where everything's pretty even and that's what the playoffs are all about it's who elevates and yes for has been noticeable because he scored the goals right and he's made those plays those individual little plays that have been obviously hugely helpful and I think we've seen Sam Reinhart do that a little bit too uh, I think in game four and five he's been the other noticeable player and I wondered when that was going to happen because I, I figured his skill set was going to be important. Getting in front of the net, being a nuisance, you know, doing those things that I think this team needed because I wondered in the first couple games, they weren't really making goaltenders' lives hard. You know, I didn't think they did right. that in game three. And now, as we've seen, there's more traffic. There's a lot more dirty stuff happening in front of the net. And I don't mean dirty in terms of dirty play. I mean dirty in terms of, like, greasy goals. Like, there's a lot more chaos happening in the blue paint. And that's really interesting. And I think Sam Reinhart is the guy who can drive that, of that top nine, obviously. I think Sam Bennett can do it, but the real player in that regard for me is, is what Reinhart is capable of doing. And I've really liked... You notice last night, there were times when Huberto was shifting on the fourth line. So, like, Andrew Brunette being able to go to you know, his bench and say, listen, if you're not playing well, I'm not going to give you the shifts. Somebody else yeah. is playing better than you. You know, that is a big thing to say, particularly for a guy that had 115 yeah. and, points in the regular and, season. And, and that's why it's hard for me to say, you know, empirically and confidently right now that, you know, Brunette's not, is getting completely outcoached or isn't, you know, doing enough good things because, you know, he's, I can't really say that when he's, I, I thought him putting Huberto on the fourth line and kind of got Huberto and, and helped keep the puck going the right direction, you know, for all four lines. Uh, and then, you know, Huberto was moved back up pretty quickly once things got going in the right direction. And, and that shows a savvy coach. He knows when to, you know, lean on guys and then when to, to lay off and, and let it get back to normal. And, you know, it, it worked and it pulled everybody in the right direction. I think that uh, you want to talk about Maxime Mammon, and I mean, obviously, Marchman yeah. being hurt sucks, but I think that Mammon came out, you know, I wondered if they were going to be a little flat in Game 5, uh, just because after that emotional win, after an overtime win in the playoffs, you can come out a little flat the next game, and I think Mammon's trying to scamper around, being a nuisance, you know, doing Maxime Mammon things, you know, that helps, right? Yeah. He, he's got that... I don't want to say puppy dog enthusiasm, but that youthful naivete of not playing in the playoffs, and he's coming in, 
he knows it's a playoff game, but he's not playing it like it's a playoff game. And it's that kind of enthusiasm and that energy that gives them a chance, you know, to, to spark something early in the game. And I, I think Mammon's going to have to play in game six and in the future if the Panthers advance. So, you know, you need a guy like that to be ready to come off the, the come off the bench, come off the press, out of the press box to make those plays. And it's noticeable that it was Mammon and not Lomberg. And well, so- I mean, yeah, Lomberg can't do what Mammon can do. Lomberg's there if, to, for a fourth line spot. You know, Thornton's there if they need to bring in somebody to calm things down. You know, Achari was there because they needed a little extra PK help. They needed a little extra, you know, veteran presence on the fourth line, but they needed some speed too. So that's why it wasn't Thornton. You know, um, there, there's a, you know, all these extra guys have a role and that's what keeps them interested. You know, it's not just like, oh, I have to be the 13th best forward to be the next one up. You know, it's, I just keep playing my game, doing my thing. And when it's my turn, I step in and do it and play well, you know, maybe they decide Marchman can have a little more time to rest up because it's an injury that kept him out the last couple games of the season. And, you know, this seems like more kind of a maintenance preventative game off versus, uh, like, I think it, if they really felt they needed him to win the hockey game, he would have played. Um, yeah, but, I can buy, buy that. But, you know, they, that's the good thing. They don't. You know, as much as we like Mason Marchman now and, and what he gives at his cap hit, you know, Malman is a good, is a really good player too. I've getting arguments about people who tell me he won't play 200 NHL games and he should get the hell out of here. I wonder what those Panthers fans are thinking today after, you know, him being a spark plug for the team. He came in as a bull in a china shop. And not only, not only that, he has the hands and he has the awareness to be able to play puck possession hockey, put his back towards the opponents, hold hold the puck, stick handle in tight spaces in the corners, and then make a good play, whether it's pass, jump, take out, step out of the wall and get a shot on and crash the net, things like that. Um, you know, it is kind of, I don't, I'm not saying he's as good as Anthony Mantha. But it's a similar thing of what Anthony Mantha brings to the Capitals and what was annoying Florida in, you know, in their first loss um, was that kind of just, you know, he can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, he's getting in your face. He's checking down pucks. He's committed on the back check. You know, he's he's hitting you. He's also trying to make some moves and taking slap shots and things like that. It, 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 it frustrates you. He's in it. In, he was at, at, you know, Mammon was after guys after the whistle, you know, math has been big doing that. Uh, so it was, it was nice to see. I mean, Wahlberg, yeah, he's, he's got nicer hands than a lot of fourth line, you know, uh, grinder grit guys that we've, we've had before energy guys. Mammon's, could be a legit top nine guy for a couple NHL teams, 82 games a year. It's a different, different animal. Thomas Trance is going to love this part of this conversation because he has been a Maxi Mammon fan forever. So congratulations yeah, I mean, to Thomas Trance. You find out somebody, uh, you know, is one of Barkov's friends. You instantly should like them. So that makes true. sense. True. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you hear about uh, what – of Sasha Barkov said about Anton Lindell and you go, yeah, no, that that's, that's good. <laughs> you yeah. know, he, you try, and he, and he also had a comment about, uh, 
Santu Kitunen, who they signed to an ELC, and he had a comment yeah. about him. And well, so, that's that's his uh, that's his current player for the team here. I know, I know. That's the even the funnier part. So it's 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 like the Panthers were doing what we asked, just in a very different way. It's not it's not Vinny Viola buying the team. It's Sasha Barkov owning the team, but close enough. I'm I'm, I'm good with that. So I mean, overall, listen, they're up three to two. I predicted they were going to win the series in six. I think you said they were going to win the series in six. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I usually just say six because that's what most series go. And so they got a chance to win the series. And now it's a matter of closing it out. And obviously that's a really hard thing to do because we've talked about the Caps playing really well because they have. Um, they're going to be at home. I understand that obviously um, the Capitals have – DMV Sports Complex, as some of you who are listening to this, you will know I went to the University of Maryland. I've met a bunch of fans up there. I love those people in the DMV. I share an affliction with you, but... I hate going to the DMV. Well, not that... Well, it's one DMV, not the other. District, District the Maryland, Virginia, District Maryland, Virginia. Oh, yeah, the traffic is definitely the same. Have you ever sat on the Beltway at 6 in the morning in bumper-to-bumper traffic? If you're listening to this from my friends up there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and... Listen, the, the talk that I was seeing out of them last night was very, this is typical Caps. You have a 3 nothing lead, and it evaporates. And once they got the first goal, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I've kind of seen this now. I didn't expect it to be that quick, where it just happened in the third period, uh, the second period, so quickly, those three goals in 10 minutes. But Is, is, you know, is that why you pay Patrick Hornquist, like, what was it, $5 million a year, $6 million a year? Yeah, but also, I mean, it, but but how about that Barkoff play to set up the Verhage goal? Like, yeah. they were struggling, and that's a really smart play. You're getting the goalie leaning the wrong way because of a bank shot. He knows how those boards are going to play, and Verhage's in the right spot. And then you get Verhage making another play to set up Hornquist, who finished calmly, and then you get a greasy goal to tie the game up. You know, like, those are the kind of things that they had to do, and they didn't panic at 3 nothing, And they found a way to say, okay, we've been here before. I kept saying throughout the year, at some point, they're going to learn their lesson and not go down 3 nothing in a game. But apparently their lesson is, well, we know what we have to do if we're down in this spot. We know what we have to do in this area. If we have to come back, we know what we have to do as a team, as an individual, in terms of our energy, in terms of how we view a situation. And, like... You can, like, it only can be in certain situations where the Panthers are going to think, okay, we can't win a game now. Like, even at 3-1 on Saturday, I'm like, they still have a chance here because eventually they could just flip the switch, and that's the end of that. But I, I think that does that break the spirit of the Capitals is my big question for game six. I don't think so because I still don't think they even played that badly even as they gave up a three-goal lead. But, I don't think they have anything to lose, so I don't expect them to be broken. I mean, they knew coming in they were the eighth seed in the conference. You know, they know they, they're they a team that has had really good regular seasons and everything. You know, I think that they're, they're – they knew that they were shaky this regular season. They knew they probably could have done better. And I think for them it's, you know – they're not expected to win the series at all. So they have six, seven games to throw everything at the wall. And at the end of the day, you know, whatever happens, happens. But they they are playing like they're cup champions who have nothing to lose. And that's a scary opponent. And, you know, it, 
yes, I still agree that it was the probably the better of the two. Well, opponents. look at how Pittsburgh's playing against the Rangers. I would think yeah. that based on how it happened, even though Crosby got hurt, like the way they played in games. Th- I mean, yeah, they gave up a lead in game three, but the game four absolute domination of the New York Rangers. And it made me go back to what I was saying about the Rangers in like November, December, when they couldn't stop a beach ball at any strength on the ice. And Shesterkin was bailing them out. And I, I have to say that they've played some incredibly great. I think the Penguins against the Panthers, if this, if the Panthers play exactly the same way against Pittsburgh as they're playing against Washington, I think Pittsburgh's winning the series 3-2, not Florida. Like, Possibly. I think the Penguins have played that well. And the Capitals and, – and, and I agree with you in saying that Washington has well, played a really good and, series. And another aspect of that is, I mean, Pittsburgh's not playing the same type of game that Washington is. You know, playing Washington to beat them, that means you have to get your – taking your penalties under control. It means you have to learn how to beat a trap. It means, you know, and that stuff, those are all tools that help you in round two, three, and four. So, uh, you know, I'd still want to play Washington. And, you know, I think that Florida's in a really good place to close it out. If they stay out of the box, if they can get a power play goal, um, and if they can just stay focused, I think, and get the same effort from Bobrovsky, who we haven't had to talk about because... I mean, we're just expecting solid Bobrovsky at this point, and that's, that's I, all I they need. I said it on Friday, and I say it again now after three more games. The fact that there is no question that Bobrovsky is the starter and that he's just able to go out and play his game has been so key in Bobrovsky being You look at his numbers, just the raw numbers, and you go, he's not been amazing. But I look at the way that he's made big saves in games, you know, big save in game four right before the, you know, they pull the extra attacker. He made some saves at 3 nothing last night just to keep them going, to make those things happen. You, if you have an offense, if you have the ability to do that, you do not need crazy Vesna level Sergei Borovsky. They, they don't need that, right? Yeah, and, and, we, and, and we, I mean, even... I think the best thing, the thing he's improved the most on is, is his puck handling and communication with the teammates. Yeah, that there has, has not been, been any of fantastic. those yet. There's been very few of those mistakes in terms of, oh, he's giving the puck away, he's taking a bad pass that puts a defenseman under pressure. Um, he's th- been making longer have- passes. You know, it's yeah. not just been short passes or just picking up pucks and moving them and leaving them for his defenseman. The, the, there's been two hands on the stick, putting some umph behind it and getting it across the blue line and out to the neutral zone and onto a, you know, Huberto or whoever's stick. And, you know, I, I, I'm all for it. It shows how confident it is and how much he wants it, what, where, how competitive and hungry he is to win and to, to, to beat this team. It's fantastic. And as I said, like, this is so different than last year, and that's a part of why I think the Panthers are in the position that they're in, uh, because Bobrovsky has just been, again, I don't look at necessarily the numbers because he's not in the, he's not had the worst playoff series compared to some goalies. He's not had the best, obviously. He's not been anywhere near the same level as, like, a Markstrom or Nottinger, but but it doesn't matter. Panthers haven't just start it well i mean i mean yeah but like when you look at the way he's played though it's exactly what the panthers have needed and that's what i think is so key 
and especially as we go further if they get there that is going to be necessary for this team yeah. to figure itself out and to win games against teams that are going to do different things Sergey Borovsky is going to have to do that and I'm really enjoying that performance from him I do want to spend a little time talking about the power play because I I mean I would never have guessed that the Panthers would be winning a series in which they are getting this badly beaten special teams and they are you know I don't think the penalty kill has been terrible but it's obviously the Capitals power play is executed you know TJ Oshie's done the thing well they've had some breaks let's be honest yeah, I mean basically you you have a average power play just because of Ovechkin so it's going to be average at worst yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I and, but and I think Oshie is scoring, so then oh, it's good. Oh, he's been he's been Washington's best player in the series I don't, by yeah, far. I, I honestly don't think their power play has been that great. I think they've you know they've just had good puck luck on the power play. They they have, but you got to create your own puck luck, and I think the Capitals have done I mean, that. And yeah. I think, I think Oshie gets into those good positions all the time, and you know I think you respect. Kuznetsov a lot for obvious reasons. You respect Backstrom. You know, I think that the Capitals' power play has been good. Their penalty kill has been better. And I think that it's forced a lot of frustration into the Panthers. And what did, I think what I said before the series started was, if you get the Panthers to not move around as much, if you get them to be static, if you get them to think a little bit, then you can frustrate them. And at times, they have. I think there have been power plays where they didn't score where against most other goalies they probably would have. You know, they've made some really nice plays. But do you think that it's overpassing? Do you think it's overthinking? What, what do you think the reason is for why this at times looks like it did in November, December when we were having the power play discussion? And that was without yeah. Barkov. I mean, especially for power play. Uh, I mean, this is probably counts for all all things. But especially for power play, I think everybody's answer is going to be their preconceived notion of, you know, what they go to when they get frustrated at a power play. A lot of people just yell shoot. A lot of people, you know, say PP2 needs more time because that's their little battle that, you know, PP2 doesn't get enough time. A lot of people I say think power play five. Two is even worse. Like, yeah. I haven't seen I a mean, good power play that, two shift in weeks. That That's fair. But I'm just saying there's a lot of different, you know, I think just tried and true things that people point to or complain about power plays. Um, you know, overpassing being, you know, something this fan base loves to complain about. Um, I necessarily don't think it's that. I think it's I think it's closer to what you said is they don't have enough movement. And I think part of that move, the movement they do have is only sick, you know, secular around the outside rather side than to cutting. side to side. It's it's not troubling. It's not people, like, the Capitals are not moving their box. What, what you need to do is attack the dot. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, let's say you're Giroux or you're Huberto on the sidewall with the puck. You need to start taking the puck and stepping into the dot, drawing out a defender. Then you can move the puck. You know, start having – and then, you know, after you move the puck, cut through the middle. Or, you know, if you don't have the puck, cut through and attack the dots and make them – instead of just cycling up the boards, down the boards, behind the net, you know, cycle through the middle. Uh, you know, have that guy in the middle cycle out with other people. Sometimes you see Huberto and Barkov do that. Well, everybody kind of needs to do that. Where the they, there's a little pass to the person in the middle – 
he taps it right back and then that person attacks the dot and the person in the middle drops behind him and sometimes you get a drop pass if there's not a shot or it's just there to you know support be, you know behind the puck um so for me it's that movement it's going to five forwards so they have that high level of skill and creativity um barkov is just as good on the blue line and agile laterally as Ekblad is, in my opinion, and good at keeping it in. So I don't lose anything there. And I want a left-handed shot versus a right-handed shot. I, I, well, I don't know about that. I mean, oh, it's, it, it's, that. it's debatable in a situation like this, but here's my, here's my and then the last thing is though, like for me, I want to see them have more underneath the goal line. You know, yeah, it's, do, it's, it's no, nothing really is happening below yeah, the goal get, line. Get, get the get the goalie to be turned around and facing the wrong way. Get the box to turn their heads around or bodies around and face the wrong way. That means everything in front of the net is out of their view, really. And that's where you can sneak, sneak guys in. Or, you know, it's just harder for a goalie to save shots when they're looking behind the net. Then they have to look out to, you know, find where that puck's going out into the slot as they're moving up, reset up and square up and get into a stance and make the save. And, you know, what is it, eight-tenths of a second or something like that? You know how fast that stuff moves? Mm. So, you know, just doing little things to make a hard, a, a disciplined and hardworking penalty kill have to work that much harder. Maybe because if they can't work that much harder, you know, then you'll score. Yeah, because I think the Capitals' penalty killers are executing. As I said, Jensen has been really exceptionally good in this series. Like, just as good a defensive defenseman performance as I can remember in a playoff series. Like, just absolutely erasing things. And so, again, that's great credit to the Capitals and their game planning. Like, those guys who you'd think of as, like, weaker players, right? They're all executing. I think Farivari's not, but, like, yeah. none of them have been liabilities. And, and that's really key when, in a penalty kill situation, when they're just doing the little things a little bit better than you, even when you have as much talent as the Panthers have, that matters in the playoffs. I want to make a suggestion for the power play, and I want to see if you'll go for it. Obviously, I think we know where you stand on five forwards. I'm fine with five forwards in, in situations. But would you replace Duclair with Verhage at this point to jump that power play? Because I think yeah, Verhage's or... energy at this point could be – what do you have to lose to try it? Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But, I mean, like, I've heard there's things that I wouldn't try, like Montour on Power Play 1. Or, no, you know, no, 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 absolutely you know, not. You know, Uyghur, you know. I think, well, I, you know... You I, I, have, think, I think Verhage on Power Play... Ekblad's the only defenseman, but I think you can get, you know... Or Forsling. The way he's playing, I'd put for, maybe Forsling. He, he's, but... he's, he's doing Gus Forsling things, and that's, that's, that's fun to see. I, I love it when that man plays, I don't want to say unhinged, but he plays free. Uh, he's, he's a fun player yeah. to watch me play straight. I, 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 if you're doing five forwards, I, at this point, because Duclair's not confident, and I think you said timid is a good word, I think Verhage, because he is confident, and at this point, he's got no qualms about doing what he needs to do, he'd be the one who I think could make a play. And also, maybe on the power play sometimes, the, you know, the drop pass, the entry can look a little slow. If you got Verhage doing his thing down the left wing, there's your zone entry, and that creates a different problem for the capitals to solve i'd be willing to see that i'd also be okay if you put sam bennett there but i think that maybe it's a little personnel adjustment if you're going to do five forwards that might be the thing what happens when they finally score i mean like that's well i mean that's the that's other thing the other the capitals is of 
being, of having that drought is, yeah, it kind of builds up a lot of tension, but what happens when you relieve that tension on a really good hockey team? Well, I think that one of the things we've talked about in, the, in this series is, or not just in the series, but all seasons, is once the Panthers get going, it's hard to stop it. It just sometimes takes them a while to get going. We saw that in game two. We saw it in game five. You know, I think it sets them up for who, if they advance, whoever they play next. Like, that is when that cumulative effect builds in. Because at some point, like, if they get a power play goal in game six, they might win the game. But then it matters what happens after that. And I think that that's going to be very interesting to see where it goes if they advance, which is obviously not a guarantee. Because I think the Capitals, as you said, they've got very little to lose. They've already won, you know, they've won their, I mean, listen, I I think that in the last two playoff series they've lost, in the bubble against the Islanders, they looked like garbage. And against the Bruins last year, they looked like garbage. This is much better from a Washington perspective. I know Capitals fans are frustrated. I know some of them are like, they got to rebuild. And I understand. I, I get it. I do. Because the team's older. But I think this team, you know, I they, they've given me more in this series to be optimistic about than at any point during the regular season when I watch them play. So I'm not going to say, listen, if the Panthers have to win game six in a scrappy fashion, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think they're blowing them out. Um I think that it's going to be tough for them to put them away. And that's credit to the Capitals. I think of all the first round series from quote unquote underdogs, and there haven't been many underdogs. I think they've been the most impressive of the underdogs in all these series. I mean, Penguins, if you technically call them underdogs because of their injuries and whatnot, but I I think they've played really well. And I, and I think a lot of the Panthers fans frustration is thinking, Oh, it's the Capitals in the playoffs. If you get them up in a situation where they're going to roll over, they're going to roll over and they haven't rolled over. So I think that's some of where the frustration comes in because I don't think Panthers fans saw the Capitals as their equal. Let's say they win and they play Toronto. They're not going to see Toronto as a team that's going to roll over if that happens. Obviously, it's not guaranteed. Yeah, but- I, I also think, you know, when your only real playoff in recent memory, playoff experience in recent memory is just one series every couple of years, yeah, every period, every game, you know, one mistake feels like it's so fatal and so devastating because it, it has been in the past. But, I mean, I think, you know, for a lot of teams like the Capitals who have played so many playoff series and won so many playoff series and stuff like, you know, they're not, they're not thinking, Oh, we're down three, two. We're, we're out of it. They're thinking, all right, we're down three, two. That means we just have to win two out of three games. That's manageable. We've won a cup before it's, you know, like, and it's just totally different. So, you know, hopefully this is a good, stepping stone they can close this out you don't want to you don't want to let them hang around and force a game seven you know close it out um and you know recover a little bit and just look at the lessons from this you know this series and and say you know this is going to be a long series if i'm not going right now i can't think about you know the chances i had in the past that i didn't convert i got to think about you know being that guy next, you know, doing, doing my role and waiting for my next chance because I'm going to get chances. And if I just keep my head down, I'll put them in and, you know, I'll, it'll be my turn to help the team. Um, you're, it's, I mean, uh, I can't, unless they go up against some team who's really not playing well, 
it's unlikely that there's going to be a handful of guys that are just dominating on this team. It's going to, you know, there's going to be one. There's only so many pucks on the ice. Put, put it this way. Like what Colorado did to Nashville in the playoffs is rare for a reason. It doesn't happen very often. You don't see mismatches like that in the playoffs. And I, I think that, again, we assume that because they were a steamroller that beat everybody up, I think we forget the back half of the season, they played a lot of bad teams. You know, they played Toronto and Tampa, but they played a lot of bad hockey. As we said, they played a lot of bad teams. Yeah, no, it's, it's correct. And I think that, you know, the Capitals are not a bad team. And I, I mean, I give them credit for what they've done. And I hope the Panthers pull it out because, again, it, it's, it's, it's way too early to talk about, you know, perspective and things like that. But it's just going to be good to see it if it finally happens. And it's going to be good to watch that moment and for – Again, it's not going to be as satisfying as it might have been in recent years if they finally end the playoff series win drought because, obviously, of the expectations, but it will still be satisfying, and you'll, like, okay, they overcame that first hurdle. That's important. Uh, just one other couple things I want to—I think I want to say on the on the, the, the just overall. You wanted to mention the game ops during the games, just very briefly, uh, because I'm, we're obviously watching all these games on TV. We're not there. I know people that are there. Um and you were talking to me before we started recording at how games one and two kind of felt a little dead at times. And I was like, yeah, they kind of seemed a little dead until the Panthers went downhill and figured it out. And that was the same thing in game in game five. Um, Panthers game ops has never been good. You know, it's always been geared towards a certain segment of person who is not the diehard hockey fan. And as anybody who's been to a Panthers game knows... You know, usually the best atmospheres are the ones yeah. when visiting fans are in the building. They're the one that creates the enmity and creates the atmosphere. And if you've ever been to a Panthers-Habs game, a Panthers-Leafs game, a Panthers-Rangers game in Sunrise, you know exactly what we're talking about. And in this playoff series, like, you shouldn't have to tell the fans to get up, but sometimes in those early games when the atmosphere is a little, you know, it's not quite there yet, you know, I think sometimes maybe the – I'm not saying the game ops could do that, but the, but you can rile the fans up. A little bit better than they have, you know. It's always yeah. that it's always that joke of George Richards is tweeting. What's the organist playing in the warm up, you know, or like, do you listen to the songs that they're playing during stoppages? Did you go? Have you heard that at every single Panthers game for the last twenty years? Yes. yes. So that that's what we're talking about, and, and I think, and you know, obviously, we'll give the new. Uh, director or whatever the title is for the new hire in game ops uh that i did see uh happened in you know in the playoffs so obviously they that's something they've known for a while because they've probably had that posting for a while went through a whole interview process etc etc so um but for me the reason i bring it up like you said uh, we're not in the stands but i am on i look through reddit i look through twitter you know and i've seen a lot of people saying that the playoff games one and two and even the beginning of games five until you know it was impossible not to be excited um were worse than the majority of the regular season games atmosphere this year so it's that's that's what i've been seeing that's what i've been hearing would love to hear you know what other people think too and you know obviously tell me but tell tell florida tell them <laughs> you know, more importantly we just i just saw a nice fluff piece on the uh, on their business ops and what they've been doing to change how they run their business ops from sean sapiro at the athletic which is again mm, read it if you yeah. want but 
Read it if you want. I'll uh, just say that, um, you know, the Panthers are good at publicity, are good at articulating messages in the media through writers and getting, you know, selling themselves and it's now not just jo- it's now not just George and David, who we obviously love, but it, now it's coming through national writers. Like, I've seen multiple pieces on The Athletic. Oh, here's a thing on Anton Lindell. Here's a thing on their business ops and what they're doing to sell hockey and sell, all of that. I'm like, oh. Yeah, and it, there's, they're doing a lot of good things, but it, it appears, you know. Bes- it appears you know, they're starting to sell themselves a little more. All right, okay, good. That's what you should be just, doing. Let's just, um, you know, but I, I – it appears that, you know, the one thing they are forgetting is once they do sell the tickets, once they do get fans into the building, you know, having enough ushers for them, having, you know, different different things. Yeah. That, the the, these the are fans things. who do years and years of season tickets, the fans that, you know, it seems like they're trying to get pay for every contract through parking price rage, raises and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that there it's 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 something like if I was I'm not in that I don't like that area of the business. It's not my thing, but we 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 owe it to our our listeners to talk about it. But it's it's one of those things where it's like if you've got season ticket holders who have been here through the absolute worst possible hockey you have ever seen, you should probably talk to them and say, "Hey, what do you feel and what do you think we need?" Because those are the ones who are going to be there when the when the circus leaves. You know, when when this run ends, they're still going to be there. So and you got to make sure that they're still on side, and that's important. And, and, I will I, I, this, and we know a bunch of those. I will say this. I think that there are people who work there that act, do care, do listen, and, you know, there are has been more Leaping Cat stuff in billboards, in gear, in promotions. And, Did you, you notice know, they sell, to they're selling a Vibing Panther T-shirt? As I joked with you the first time I yeah. saw that, I'm saying – well, I hope this goes better than the last viral Twitter meme that became a yeah. teaser. Right. I yeah. Mean, so again, like, there's they're doing little things. It's you know, it's it's can they convince can they convince the owners to to it's going to take a substantial investment and you know, like trusting the new in-game presentation hire or whatever the title is and letting them, you know, really throw some resources behind it and get it get it to where they want it to be and see how fans react to that and then listen again and it might take a while and it might take some money but you know at the end of the day if you want to have 19,000 consistently you, you need to do that because um the one thing I'll tell you is if you're a diehard fan whether the team's good or not you only want it packed if the crowds, if it's good energy, if, you know, all that, if it's, you know, it's not fun. It's, you know, I've seen it in Philadelphia when it's packed and it's not the right crowd or, you know, you've seen it at MSG too. Like when it's a lot of suits and it's a lot of. How many times have you heard that criticism about crowds in Toronto all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And how many times you hear the yeah. atmospheres, de- like how many times have I read on Twitter during this series, oh, this is the best atmosphere since Maple Leaf yeah. Gardens. I've seen that a hundred times already. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, and I, I saw the criticism of it in Tampa, too. Like, that's a full building every night, and you could sometimes go, like, uh, is the atmosphere there? Like, it depends. Like, I think they need yeah. to figure out on the creating the atmosphere they want in that building. You know, yeah. from a Panthers perspective, like, don't try to create Vegas. They already have their thing. Don't try to create Nashville. They've got their thing. Or Carolina. Create an atmosphere that you want in your building. 
You know, you have your traditions, you have your thing, right? Let enjoy, like, you know, lean into that. You know, like, as I say, like, that's what the Panthers have to figure out. And they're going to figure it out because they're actually asking the right questions as opposed to doing what they used to do, which was advertise directly to opposing fans, which pissed me off when it happened. Because I remember seeing distinctly, hey, Flyers fans, come see your team against the Panthers many years ago. Terrible. Uh, Let's start to wrap this up. Uh, We will do something, obviously, after, uh, hopefully after they win game six and win the series, which would be nice. That'll be a little celebration. I just want to quickly touch on something, uh, and we'll talk about other playoff series at another point. We saw the draft lottery. Flyers are picking fifth. I know you were talking to me about this draft being uninspiring, uh, but fifth, you could get a decent player there. I just want a quick thought on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that we'll get a, you know, a, a solid enough player. But you know, with the Flyers, it's kind of they have a history not always of picking the right player, and then have would you go be almost going Panthers bad? Situ- would you go be going to defenseman in that situation? Because that's what I'd depends. be thinking about. It depends. I mean, like if. Your check is there, then yes, but I, I don't think he makes it past the top four. Um, I don't know if I want Nemich or, uh, you know, some of these other D depends. I would maybe trade back if you really want a defender. I, I don't know. It, it It's more important for Philadelphia to get rid of Chuck Fletcher to get somebody in there who's going to have an energy and a new way of doing things like Bill Zito or, you know, somebody who has actually done it in the past. Chuck Fletcher hasn't done it in the past. He's 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 the guy that helped continue the Minnesota mild branding of the wild. And as soon as he was gone, look what happened and look how fun they got. You know, that's you know, they need somebody who whether it's going to be a rebuild or whether it's going to be a quick retool and being aggressively, you know, what Montreal's trying to do or something like that, they're going to need they're going to need to bring in somebody who's going to be willing to hire a coach and make these draft picks and stuff that take the risk that you need to turn a turd around that quickly. Um, so I think that's going to be more important. Uh, then I think who's going to be available at, at five. Um, you know, Brad Lambert, I think, to me, is going to be available at five. He's, you know, considered high risk, high reward. But to me, he's a top three player. He's somebody who can maybe be a Mitch Marner type or, you know, a Patrick Kane type or just this really uber offensive creative playmaker um, with some sc- with some finishing ability. Uh, and, and a lot of good skating and, and good edge work. I, I, I don't know. I. It's obviously something that we'll think about, but you know, I want to get your thoughts on it now that we yeah, have the draft lottery. I, yeah, we'll see. The draft's really tough. You know, there's some good Russians. Where where the heck are they going to go now? You know, there's... Um... Well, smart teams would understand, like, if we have our ability to make the right decision. Like, the Flyers already got a Russian out of the KHL, I think. So, like, they yeah. can make that happen if you want to you just need to be smart about it but i mean what what type of team are they trying to build i mean you know because that goes yeah. a long way to to because whatever they're trying to do this number fifth five overall draft pick is going to be a core piece of that and is going to be one of the pieces they market around and, and you know the new coach is going to have to play around and you yeah. know speaking so. of a new coach uh what did you think of the islanders firing barry trotz uh, I think it was 
Because um, I've talked I to th- Islanders I, fans who are quite depressed about this. One who, who I think it was a Barry mercy Fox fire. The best, the best coach in the league, not named John Cooper. I, I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I'd still take I mean, Mike that's Sullivan a little much for me. I think take Mike, Mike yeah. Sullivan and Rob Brindamore over him. But he's no well, doubt he's Rob been a really good is a lot of is a lot of story that may be myth. I'll just say that. You okay. know, like he's he's a lot of a media creation. I think, you know, in this, I don't know. I, I think he has he has a lot of flaws. I I don't know. But for me, it's like they're, they're what were we talking about though? Really? I, I think Barry Trotz when when the Islanders fired him, I figured, okay, Lou recognizes that the offense in the league currently is not going to go down. Barry Trotz was a good coach for a certain era of hockey where offense can be controlled. We cannot control that offense anymore, so I need a coach who's going to spark Matt Barzell, etc., etc., etc. That was my that, thought when that happened. I don't, I don't agree with that. If I'm Lou Lamarillo, I, I mean, I think a guy like Lou is thinking a guy like me. This offense maybe is sustainable, maybe it's not at a league wide, but at the end of the day, I always believe it's easier to consistently be a good defensive team than to consistently be a high scoring team. I I, tr- I truly think that, and I truly think that you know we're seeing it play out in this playoffs where Calgary and Florida are being stifled by a team who's not that great but they're good at executing a good system, a good defensive system. So imagine if you had a good team that could do that. Um, And I think for me, what it was is Lou realizing that they're going to have to go into a rebuild, that that maybe they're going to try to be really bad next year and get Connor Bedard. Maybe they're going to, you know, do something like that. And you have to get rid of Trotz that way. You know, if you tell, you know, it's, you can't tell Trotz, hey, we're going to rebuild, blah, blah, blah. Do you mind stepping aside and forfeiting money? You know, I think, you know, Lou and Barry have a lot of years and decades in this league. I think it um, was basically a, we're going to do, do you solid. We're going to fire you, um, give, you know, give you that that money and um we're going to move forward in a different direction and you can you know continue to coach you know with the team that's trying to win playoff series so which coach is uh well i bet to say which place is that's going to be for barry trotz now that's that's an interesting question Uh, i mean obviously that's a very fletcher move um that's like i texted you the first thing when i saw that i'm like this is it sounds like a thing the flyers like i mean the the thing with keeping Fletcher around in Philadelphia is he's now doing every move to save his job. He probably realizes if it doesn't like if they if it doesn't go according to plan, whatever that plan is next year, whether it's you know rebuild or whatever, if he doesn't bring back enough value in trades or whatever, or if you know he can't retool it in the off season quickly, he's gone. So every move is a panic move for his job. I don't. I don't think that's how you get a team better. I would want to bring somebody in with a clean slate, uh, you know, because you look at what he did in Minnesota at the end when it was kind of job-saving time. 
I, I, you know, it was good, but it, it was still, it, it's kind it, it of, was, been, it was like, like what David Boyle's done with Nashville. Basically. Yeah. And it's kind of the, it's the middle ground moves. It's the, like, it's a little bit of risk. It's a little bit of safety and it's kind of like, you know, not any of what you need. And, um, I mean, whether Bruce Boudreaux is available or not, I think Fletcher's going to go with somebody who has won a cup, has taken a team to a Stanley Cup, has done who, who's made the playoffs with multiple teams, and he thinks is highly respected by some of the vets he's going to be bringing in next year. Yeah, you mentioned to me that if Brindamore doesn't come back to Carolina, oh yeah, I mean that's 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 the wild card for me is. You know, if Brindamore's a free agent, I think Comcast realizes the potential. And and if they get a Brindamore, things change. You know, because that's somebody who can make make something out of nothing as far as an under. Maybe he could get the team back to the playoffs. That's that's realistic if if they have Brindamore. And if Brindamore is what the hype around him says he is. If it's not just what Carolina is, which is yeah, a lot of machinations behind the curtains. And, I mean, let's be honest. Carolina has a fantastic defense, and my belief is defense carries your team. So oh, now that they I mean, fix look at who's winning in the playoffs it. right now. It's, it's a big thing about who your defenders are. Like, the best team in the playoffs right now is uh, the Colorado Avalanche, who might have really good defenders, possibly. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, I look at, again, Toronto has had good defenders play well in this postseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah, know. I think that, I mean, well, again, Tampa, when they've won the Cups, has been strong. You need those guys on the blue line, and the Flyers obviously don't have that. But anyway, I just wanted to bring up those two because those two are obviously um, Flyers connected, but they're also really interesting because the draft lottery always is, and I did not expect the Islanders to fire Barry Trotz. But anyway, I, you know what I did expect? Montreal to win the first. Oh, row. I, I thought that was coming a mile away. Um, and good, good for my friend Andrew Berkshire. He deserves something nice after having to do seventy-something games of talking about the house. Yeah. Like that. That yeah. was. I'm, awful. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd give up this first round, first overall next year, or first overall this year for next year, or for something better. Um, I mean, it, yeah, but it's it's something. I mean, it's something for a fan base that wants to dream. Yeah. And you know what? Get I give them that. Uh, yeah, it's not going to be a bad player or anything, but. Um, oh you no, know. no 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 no! But this feels like 2017. Like 2017 draft in the way that we thought about Nico Heischer and Nolan Patrick without obviously realizing what Kale McCarr and Miro yeah. Heiskanen were going to be. Well, that I mean, kind of it's definitely, it's definitely, like, if I'm the Flyers, I'd, if you told me, I mean, five's maybe a little too far back, but, um, you know, I'd rather, like, three or four is a really good spot to be drafting this year. I'd rather well, maybe that. Congratulations to the Arizona Coyotes and the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, or, you know, the Devils at two is, you Oh, know, okay, I, one more comment. Is... One more comment. If the Devils screw up again, I also know some Devils fans out there. They've won how many lotteries now since 2017? Like three? They, they're still eligible for next year. I know, and that and that makes me very, very mad. What was the point of the rules? Well, that's I, how it worked out. Yeah, it's dumb. And the, the, they made it too complicated because a bunch of teams won the lottery, and yet that team won the lottery anyway because that's how this works. If the Devils screw this up again, then, I, I mean, I understand that you got to pay the piper for all those years they won, and I understand they haven't won a playoff series in a decade now, but my God, if you get whoever it is you're going to take it to, Zilkovsky, it doesn't matter. 
if you can't win with all those draft picks at the top of the lottery, and because either you can't evaluate goaltending or what have you, I don't want to hear the Devils keep. I don't want to, like because if you're starting to see those signals from New Jersey, right? Oh, we're better than our numbers suggest. No, you're not. You're you're but not. You, you have to give them four things. or five years. Yeah, the thing is, then you have to give them four or five years because if you look at Edmonton. They're still not really there. It took Florida and Toronto for, you know, it took them, you know, even though they had good players who were considered good players and the draft picks were considered hits, um, you know, they still have to do a lot of things to build up that team. How, and how much more patient can you ask Devils fans to be? And, and, and again, where's the goalie? Yeah. Where's the goalie? You know who I, I like, I'm thinking to myself, about goaltending movement this offseason, and I'm wondering who's going to do, like, um, there's so many things that could happen in this offseason with goaltending that I think are interesting, but we'll save that for later. Uh, again, enjoy game six. I really, really hope they win so that we can do a podcast celebrating they actually won a series for the first time since I was a two-year-old. That would be nice. And again, I think that you just have to go through the ups and downs of these games. And if that means logging off Twitter because some fans are tweeting things that are a little loony, it's okay. Get off the bird app for a few minutes. It's all right. You're gonna you're gonna get through it. I understand you, that you these can things... you can just like say out loud those things instead you of you can like, be frustrated and yeah. mad during a game. Like I get frustrated and mad during yeah. games. Like again, we try to cover this team as objectively as we possibly can. That doesn't mean we're not still wanting them to win. And like if you would have seen me mad during games four and five, you know I I was mad. But, like, you have to sometimes – sometimes it's better to say it than to look on Twitter and go, like, hey, this person's saying the same thing I'm thinking. Like, that's not really helpful. You know, like, because the playoffs are like that. You know, you're not going to get people thinking rationally, and nobody thinks rationally on Twitter.com anyway. So that's, that's my point. Anyway, enjoy Game 6. We'll have more for you, hopefully, after they win a series because they're very close to it now. And then we can talk about more series and go through the song and dance again. But until then, good night and good hockey.